1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast, or should that be the Europa League is Red podcast. Manchester United are into the final, their first final in three years, their first chance of silverware in four years. Samuel, Ty, welcome to today's pod. Um, Before we maybe get on to other matters, United United did make it to the Europa League final. The second leg against Roma was always going to be a bit of a dead rubber. It turned into quite a chaotic evening in the end. But Samuel, United's progress and eventual qualification for the Europa League final
2: Seems a bit different this time around from 2017. Yeah, it, it it was it was very strange. In fact, as you as you say, it was very very different to Celta Vigo. I, I kind of suspected Roma would be pretty gung ho and might have some joy against that United defense last night, uh, mainly because Eric Bailly was recalled for his first game in. I think it was since the Milan first leg, so nearly two months. I think the trouble with Bailly, though is that he he can play like that. At, the, at his optimum fitness level, after having a run in the team, that's that's just what you get. He's that haphazard, and they were really indebted to De Gea. It was De Gea's best performance in years, and the save he made, I think, from Pedro uh, in the 61st minute was that that killed Roma's last you know, shred of hope, really. If that goes in, Roma need only two more goals. They've got half an hour plus added time to get them against a defence where the full-backs are all over the place and by being by really. So De Gea was, he was back in world-class form and I think possibly on the strength of that performance um, might get the nod in the final as well, which obviously would please a, a particular section of the United fan base. But I think it would be merited, really, on, on the back of that performance. It's it's still a tricky one for Solskjaer, and I think pretty much the the outfield starters for the final against Villarreal is is boxed off. I mean, Lindelof will come back in, McTominay will come back in. I can't really see Rashford being dropped in favour of Greenwood, even though Greenwood would be uh, better for the balance of of the attack. But it's it's that goalkeeping dilemma and debate that has been you know, simmering away for most of the season and I fully expect Henderson to start at Villa Park on Sunday but given the way De Gea performed in Rome I think he's, he's every right to expect to, to start in the final but again those two they've each played four games in the Europa League so the more you think about it that when you factor in all the nuances and the previous precedents for you know, goalkeeping dilemmas in finals with United going back to Jim Leighton, Les Sealy in the 1990 FA Cup replay. And and more recently, just uh, four years ago, Romero was the number two, but kept his place in the final. Last season, when it came to the semi-final, I think everybody expected Romero to start, but Solskjaer brought his number one back in in De Gea. Um, I think in this case, De Gea will be hoping that the number two keeps his place for the final, because that's, that's effectively his role at the moment. But... I just I just think he deserves it because it was it was such a such a terrific performance he gave. Ty six two
1: from the first leg, eight five on aggregate, even with the mitigation, United made changes at half time and it showed maybe the over alliance and the indroppableness really of Shaw and Sack that when they were taken off United did lose their heads defensively. But like Samuel said, even if even if that Pedro goal had gone in and Roma needed it just two. United always had that attacking flair and quality on the pitch, where you sense they'd get more opportunities themselves against quite a porous Roma defence. Did you ever think that there was any chance? Did that cro- the, the thought cross your
0: mind that United could somehow throw this one away? I, I think if one of those chances had gone in just after they conceded the second, if Roma had made it three goals in five or six minutes, then I definitely think there'd have been some nerves amongst United fans. I mean, certainly from a. I was going to say a neutral's perspective but you know I obviously want United and City to to do well it's you know from an entertainment perspective it would have been interesting to see what would have happened there because United were undoubtedly rocking at that point they'd somehow managed to make a 7-2 aggregate lead with a quarter of the tide to go look brittle for a few minutes and I mean what was interesting about those those rush of chances after they'd scored two in three minutes was just how good those chances were was not like they were taking pot shots on the edge of the box they were having shots at De Gea's goal from in the six-yard box. It was just so easy to carve to carve United apart. And if they scored one of those, then it, you know it would have made for an interesting game. But but like we say, the the fact is that United scored eight in this tie and should probably have scored twelve. Really, you know, Cavani scored four goals across the two legs and, and missed a good number of very good chances as well. And you did always feel that they would score again. It' pretty frustrating to lose the game in the end, considering the chances they had. But it did look so dangerous going forward that you always felt they would have it under control. I think had they conceded a, a third goal, there would have been there would have been some nerves and some wobbles, certainly the way they were defending. And I think Samuel touched on it, that, that Teles and Williams just could not get in the game and up to the pace of the game at all. And, you know, they had a nightmare, 15, 15 20 minutes at least in that spell. But United were so dangerous going forward that you did think they had they had more goals in them. And you know Bizarre that when you think of, when you look at how this semi-final was, was going to pan out against an Italian team and, you know, Serie A is, is very exciting these days, if not particularly high quality, but, you know, United think conceded two goals in uh, six knockout games before this and then you look at them conceding five against Roma across two legs and you probably said, well, they're, they're going to go out again, but in the end they went through quite quite comfortably and well, it was the attack that, that got them through really and, you know, even if, had, even if Roma had scored again, you always feel that I've had to commit men forward and, and that would have just played into United's hands, really.
1: Yeah, I think you pointed out, out as well, Ty, that Roma's attacking front line had a combined age of 100. So, yeah. you know, it <laughs> didn't reflect well on well United at all. Maybe before we no. get onto individual performances there, Sam, you touched upon it as well in our coverage last night, that this Europa League final is very different from the one four years ago. We've had the protests, we've had the European Super League fallout, the fact United qualified for the Europa League because you know they were knocked out of the Champions League and also the fact there's been no fans there to enjoy any of the campaign. For your point of view, does Solskjaer still deserve credit? You know the fifth time of asking is it's easy enough you know saying United were favorites to get to the final and win it on paper but the fact that they actually have done it and
2: overcome that sort of mental block which was in the way. Do you think Solskjaer deserves some credit at least for that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. He's he still had to get on with his day job and he's presided over it in a very professional very comprehensive way uh, during this run where they've they've not come up against far-flung fodder of astana or Linz or um, i'm trying to think where else they they've gone on their uh, journeys in recent years was it, it was uh Zoy- 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 zoya mm. in um, 2016 uh they've they've played two teams from spain and italy and Whatever you say about the standard of those leagues, that you know, you can only play, as the cliche goes, what's what's in front of you. And they have, they've been very entertaining in, in most of those games. Maybe not the second leg against Sociedad, but they, they put Sociedad to the sword in the first leg. And I thought they showed great character in the second leg uh, in the San Siro to beat Milan. Okay, Granada was a complete non-event, but against Roma, they were, you know, they played some captivating football. And as I've said before, I suppose with, with Cavani, uh, you know, for, for us, it's been a privilege to watch him in, in person. And it looks like United fans will have that privilege next season as well, and or at least against Fulham in the last home game of the season. And he is just, you know, he's, he's he's a brilliant striker to watch. I think he's certainly, you know, a lot of naysayers have gone quite quiet, or they've certainly acknowledged that, you know, he's, he's pretty much, you know, rubbish their, their scepticism in the first place by by what he's done particularly recently though it's it's amazing how he was jolted by having a goal disallowed at Tottenham and it was almost like poking a bear really the reaction you've seen from him since that and just coming back to Solskjaer I think he deserves credit there because it would have been very easy to stand by you know stand by and say well we've got Marshall and it sounds daft now Oji was is back up but God knows what would have happened if, if United hadn't signed Cavani in the summer because they've, they've got a proper no- number nine there. And he's, Solskjaer said, he said that he's the reason why they're in the final. He scored four goals. Um, and, and the fact that he referred to him as a centre forward as well. I know it's a very obvious statement and it's a factual statement, but I, the tone with which he said it, it was like, you know, he, he really just loves the fact that United have got a proper number nine that he can truly get behind now. Because they did have a number nine in Romelu Lukaku, but obviously there was some friction there. And Lukaku's face just didn't fit whilst Oskar was the manager.
1: Yeah, of course. Social spoken, hasn't he, throughout his tenure? that it's not just the talent; it's the personality as well. And he wants those those individuals who can yes. have a, a good impact on the side. And I know, maybe I think all fans loved seeing it last night when Cavani comes over to help Greenwood when he has this little tussle. Yeah. I think it was with Mancini or Pellegrini in the Roma side. And you know, it's sort of that that leadership, not just with his footballing ability, but but in the dressing room as well. Ty, I guess we. You can check this off your bingo card because every week we talk about defenders, we talk about the goalkeepers, and we've got to talk about Cavani again now because, like you said, he could have had even more goals over the two legs. He maybe. Missed the easier chances across both matches, but then scored the ones where they were the odds were stacked against him. Mm. What what do you think the the situation is for United? Even if he was to sign and, and get this extra year on his deal at least, then do you think that United could get by by another year? Because last season their strike force without Cavani outscored Liverpool's strike force, and then adding Cavani to the mix. Surely if everything clicked, that would be enough firepower up front, or or do you think they still need someone else?
0: No, I think next year if, if Cavani stays, I think it's an ideal opportunity to, to kick the can down the road really when it comes to signing a, a striker. You know, Cavani's thirty-four, but he still looks in fantastic physical shape. And it might be, certainly this season, frustrating at times for, for United that he's reluctant to play three times a week and obviously feels that he knows how his how his body is better than Better than the medical staff, but when you're still 34 and look as fit as you've ever looked, then I guess you just have to accept that, you know, he, he does know how to manage his own body. And you'd think that's going to be less of an issue next year for, for United because there won't be as many midweek Premier League games. The schedule won't be as demanding. They will be in the Champions League group stage, which is going to mean playing a, a strong team in, in those fixtures, but the schedule simply won't be as demanding. So I think they can certainly get away with, with Cavani and Martial, I guess, as your two strikers next year. And you know, the, the form he's in at the moment, he's he's in the best form of his United career and he looks I think his relationship with Fernandez has has really shone in these two games against Roma and it does feel like they're they're on the same wavelength now. You can see as soon as Fernandez gets the ball that, that Cavani's on the move and we've mentioned his his movement's phenomenal. The timing of his runs is is phenomenal. excuse me, it's clear now that as soon as Fernandez gets the ball, Cavani's looking for a yard of space and, and looking for a run, and it does feel like they're they're on the same wavelength. And I think having achieved that, Gavani's probably reluctant to to give it up now because a striker, what you what you want is a playmaker who's who's always looking for you and he's got that in Fernandes. So I certainly think if if he stays, I think he's he's good enough still at 34 for United to build an attack around next season. And you know, given given the pandemic and, and the issue of finances and, and other areas of the squad to um to strengthen, I think it, it I think it would be a win-win scenario in allowing United to look at, at 2022 as an ideal time time to sign a striker yeah
1: I agree with you that time like I said I think the elephant room also is Greenwood's development it's do United actually push ahead and make him a centre forward rather than this right wing option we've seen but that's one for Solskjaer to decide Samuel in terms of the final sadly for Euro- European Super League fans they won't be United versus Arsenal so yeah. legacy fans will have to deal with Villarreal instead four meetings of them Auburn goalless draws United regardless of who was going to make the final were going to be favourites you'd sense Personally, from my point of view, I, f- I almost think Arsenal would be would have been the tougher one because Solskjaer's record against them isn't particularly good and the pressure would have all been on United. It would have sent football Twitter into a meltdown. But Villarreal, United, strong favourites. And as you said, you know they've already beaten two teams from Spain this season in the Europa League.
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, I, f- I feel quite disgusted with myself that I remember things that happened in those four previous games against Villarreal where... Obviously, they all ended goalless, and those y- you could have slept through all of them quite easily. But I think Johnny Evans did hit the post in one game, which is is a pretty sad fact to be mentioning. But it's it's a fact that unfortunately is it's just bloody it's just jammed in my head. But it's it's just a as you said, I do think it helps that Arsenal went out. I think there would have been a bit of doom laudry about United facing Arsenal because of their recent record, and also because Arteta, although he has you know, his his limitations as a coach have really been exposed in recent months. But certainly last season in the FA Cup semi-final and final, tactically, he was so impressive and Arsenal so impressive in beating City and then beating Chelsea in the final that that would have certainly been, you know, playing on United fans' mind and probably playing on Solskjaer's mind as well, given that he's not not managed United in a final before. So I do think it suits them that they're coming up against Villarreal rather than Arsenal. I mean, Villarreal is seventh in La Liga as well. The quality of La Liga this season is probably the worst in just years, really. I think, but maybe decades. It it just seems so substandard. I know it's easy for us to say that because, unlike Ty, we've not got all got Premier Sports, so we've not got the, <laughs> we've not got Re- de La Liga on Sky Sports to watch anymore. But from what I have seen of it, and just watching the teams, the Spanish teams in the Champions League. I don't think United have got a great deal to to dread there. or certainly be worried about Real Madrid against Chelsea the other night were terrible. I I even thought when Chelsea were missing all those chances at 1-0, even though I'm sure some Chelsea fans, a lot of Chelsea fans were feeling a sense of dread, I I was not remotely confident or expecting Madrid to score to make it 1-1, to take it to extra time or to nick another and and get through to the final. It's it's a Madrid side that's in desperate need of a rebuild, Atletico's aura. Isn't, isn't what it was and, and Barcelona have been a basket case for club for quite some time now and have had two thrashings in their last two eliminations in the Champions League so and with the Sociedad thing I, as I said at the time I felt sorry for Sociedad because it wasn't a home leg it was ridiculous that, that that Turin tie masqueraded as a home leg for them and then they still had to go to Old Trafford so I don't think that was a fair reflection of them when United beat them 4-0 but United were clearly the better side than them and would probably still have gone through if the the first leg was played in in San Sebastian. And I suppose that was symptomatic of how poor La Liga has been this season. When United were actually drawn with Sociedad, they were top of La Liga. So although it was early in the season, I, I still think that was a reflection of what poor quality it's been in Spain this season and, you know, their time in the sun in the Champions League seems to have come to an end. And the United, it's, it's it's just a very good draw. It's a very, very winnable draw to have. Whereas last season, obviously, they were, um, if they'd got to the final, they'd have come up against Inter Milan, which would have been a, a far more, far more intimidating final to, to have.
1: Yeah, into Milan or United reserves as, as they look better than on the continent. Um, it's interesting <laughs> as well. You know, there's the prospect as well. Get to maybe linked in with a final week, but the the prospect of a Super Cup against our City or, or Chelsea as well, which is one which I'm sure the uh, the legacy fans won't mind as well as the newer fans as well. Ty, in terms of what lies ahead now as well. Solskjaer spoke uh, post-match and he had a go at the Premier League. He said that the fixture schedule, which United have been faced with, was made by people who haven't played football at the highest level. You know, impossible is the word that's been used to describe United's outlook for the next
0: week. What do you make of it? Yeah, I think it is impossible, really, when you're playing. You know, I mean, they're going to have no real training sessions before those those games. To have, you know, to have been in Rome on Thursday and then back on Sunday, we already know how tough that is. But... You're basically talking a game on Sunday, recovery session on Monday, game on Tuesday, recovery session on Wednesday, game on Thursday. It is it is absolutely relentless. I mean, it's fortunate that it is also mostly irrelevant. You would think for United because I think they're, I mean, they're certainly securing the top four. I think they're solid enough in second. There, they're four points ahead of Leicester and. I guess if you're going to play a strong team against anyone, maybe you play it against Leicester next weekend and you beat them, and I think that secures second. And uh, you know, I think Solskjaer's right that given everything that's happened this season, it is relentless. The, the scenes are more. I, I've not heard why why this didn't happen. I can only presume it was a, an issue with West or Liverpool not wanting it. But I think West Brom and Liverpool play each other the weekend. The United don't play next weekend. Now, you would have thought that game could have been moved to midweek and, and United play Liverpool on a weekend. That would have. Seemed to have ticked all boxes and, and helped with the schedule, but for for whatever reason, that's not happened. So yeah, you know it is it is a brutal schedule for United. There's no doubt about it. But options were limited. I mean, that was the only other option really to to play it in in that weekend next week and move Liverpool and West Brom's fixtures. But they, they've not gone with that. And beyond that, they couldn't play at the end of the season because United have got the Europa League final on the Wednesday after the end of the season. They can't play at a week after the end of the season. And there's also the issue that it could potentially hand an advantage to to Liverpool in the top four race by letting them know what they need to do after the the last game of the season. So no the the options were limited, I guess, but it is it is a a, it is going to be a serious issue for United and a very difficult week for them. And I think we're going to see a a hell of a lot of rotation. But the fortunate thing for them is that I think in reality, you know, they they can almost play the kids in in one of those games and lose it. And it it won't really matter because they are that secure in second at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, like you said the Ty, and we'll touch up on it now. The fact that United, you know, they don't have too much play for in the league is is maybe one little minor blessing to take, but the fact of the matter is still, it's still ridiculous what they've been presented with. And Samuel, we keep on saying every week, you know, United have squad rotation, they've got the squad depth. The truth of the matter is, last night against Roma, the players who were brought in were pretty woeful. You know, Tellez was poor, Van der Beek was poor. And then you speak about possibly playing the kids in one of those games. Well, There's no real sense playing them at Villa Park because that's the first of the the three games in five days. The Leicester game, like Ty said, is the one which could cement your place as second. And then you've got Liverpool. And, okay, the Liverpool game might not have anything riding on it, but you don't want to put your kids out and get thrashed at home to Liverpool. So how are United actually going to deal with this? How do you think they
2: will deal with it over the next week? Uh, Get their fans to postpone it again, possibly, which um, I think is the intention, (laughs) given given that they've... uh, They've they've sent me a statement this morning, the the story's out online about calling for 10,000 fans to converge on, on Old Trafford on Thursday night. I think that's why the Liverpool game wasn't scheduled for a weekend, because the Premier League do not want to give anyone an excuse to to rock up Old Trafford or the Lowry or whichever other city centre hotel United might be staying in. This, this problem for United, wherever they stay, it almost seems pretty easy to stop them from leaving there. I mean, Carrington is tiny road, tiny country lane road. So if they were to even, you know, go to the training ground first and then try and get into the stadium, the supporters have already shown that it's possible to block those entrances. You know, they've, they've had issues at other hotels I think it was Mourinho who got off the coach and walked to the stadium, and that was only when they were staying at Lancashire Cricket Ground, just down the road at the Hilton there. So it's it's it ba- it's it's bound to be another fraught week covering Man United, and there's, there's possibly not a guarantee that Liverpool game will um, kick off at the desired time. So I, I don't know what the precedent is for midnight kickoffs, but there's there's possibly a chance that that, that might happen on Thursday. As, but with I mean, Solskjaer did say in the embargoed section in Rome, to us, that he, he, I mean, he just pretty much warned the Premier League or said that he could easily make 11 changes for one of those games. And I don't think anybody would blame him. It is a big story. The principle of it is wrong. The story is mainly diluted because nobody expects United to move up or move down. Then they're not going to win the league. And I don't think Leicester have got it in them to uh, usurp them and and finish second. It's, It's just that you know margin of error, I suppose, that slight slight shred of doubt that because United haven't complete haven't technically qualified for the Champions League that their Champions League qualification chances are being jeopardized but I don't think anybody really believes that ultimately the principle of what the Premier League are doing is wrong and there was an easy way to scatter those fixtures across a, a greater time span because United do have a free weekend next week which just doesn't make any sense whatsoever and it does it does harm the integrity of the competition because the premier league's brand is all about quality watchable football they are harming that it's it's pretty much self-harm when they are giving a club an excuse to play anthony Langer or uh hannibal mejbri or donny van Der Beek, Don, yeah, donny <laughs> donny, <laughs> phil jones on on one leg uh sergio romero maybe lee Grant, nathan bishop when they when they do that kind of scheduling and United have, have had it before they had it in the running in 1992 which was a sore point which Solskjaer referenced he didn't funnily enough he didn't actually bring up the 1997 running when I think they had something like three games to play in five or six days which obviously he was he was a part of and they were talking about 1992 back then and in those two run-ins they were of course going for the title and in 92 they didn't win the title in 97 they did but as I said, the principle of it is still wrong and I don't blame him for, you know, threatening to play weak and sides because some of those players cannot play. I mean, Cavani, you, 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 Ty mentioned it earlier, Cavani clearly is very particular about how fit he has to be to play. Now, I don't think he'll play against Villa on Sunday because he played on the Thursday night. He'll probably play against Leicester, but then you're without him against Liverpool, which is a game for United against their biggest rivals and they've not got their best striker available for it because of the um because of the scheduling of it. So yeah, it's it's just as well for United that Champions League qualification, second place, all seems boxed off. But if they if they drop down from second to third, then then so be it. I don't think anyone can or should blame Solskjaer for that because as he said, that the hand they've been dealt is is dreadful. And it's it'll be interesting to see whether he he bites at the city bait. Because, of course, City had a few COVID cases in in late December. Their game at Everton, I think, was postponed four hours before kickoff. Everton put out that passive-aggressive statement because they were not happy about the timing of it. I think City then had something like an eight-day break or went eight days without playing. The first game back, they absolutely wiped Chelsea, Stamford Bridge in what's widely regarded as the turning point of their season. I think that was the victory where they pretty much got going and started getting serious and swept all before them and went on to all but win the league
1: yeah exactly it's, it is It is something that could be a, a genuine sort of scandal but the fact that like you said United are already safe it's yeah. one that the Premier League will probably get away with and like you said it jeopardises the quality of their own product which they're trying to sell and make into a global brand themselves so it just doesn't really make sense uh, producer Ash has just left us a note to say our next podcast will be on Wednesday so we're actually previewing two games in this last little section I <laughs> do not know how we're going to do that um, Samuel's already mentioned there though I think in, in terms of the striker selection probably seems like Rashford at Villa, Cavani against Leicester, then you might even have Marshall back for the Liverpool game. You know, I mean Solskjaer loves his nostalgia. It is against Liverpool where Marshall burst onto the scene. So it wouldn't surprise me entirely. I mean, Solskjaer spoke as well earlier this week saying that Marshall is on course to, to return before the end of the season. He started sort of practicing and training by himself, just doing like like jogging because that was brace now. So we could see that return. But looking ahead to Villa Park, particularly, Ty, how strong do you think United will go? Um, Like you said, it's difficult one to gauge and there's so much mitigation and permutation, but there is a fully fit squad available. What What would you say?
0: Yeah, I, it is a really hard one to gauge. I mean, I, of the four fixtures, I guess this is the easiest for United and the least, the three fixtures, sorry, the easiest and the least relevant for United. But it's also come at the, the worst possible time. It'd be easier if Villa was in the middle of Leicester and Liverpool because you could play strong teams against Leicester and Liverpool than a weak team against Villa where it's harder to play a weak team against Villa and then strong team on Tuesday night and Thursday night I guess so you know I think it's probably right that Cavani probably won't start but I don't know maybe he starts against Villa in Liverpool and doesn't play against Leicester it is it is really hard to call I don't think Fernandez will start all three games so maybe he doesn't start against Villa I mean I wouldn't be surprised if the full start all three because we saw on Thursday that the backups aren't great there. Maguire, if United played seven days a week, Maguire would start all seven. So I think he'll he'll start the lot. And, and obviously Henderson, I think, will will play the lot. But there's certainly going to be changes. Um, McTominay's, McTominay maybe would start all three. He's probably got the energy too, I guess. I was surprised that, that Fernandez and Cavani stayed on beyond half-time last night, to be honest. In the end, it was probably crucial they did, considering United had a, had a little bit of a wobble. But I think if they both come off at half-time, they, they could have... They perhaps, or certainly Fernandes could have started all three this week. I think that's now a lot harder given how long he played and, I wouldn't be surprised if if he's perhaps the biggest name absentee at Villa Park.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I mean, I have done my panel for Villa Park and I've put Matic in the starting lineup just because there's no one really else available. Samuel, I guess that's one of the kind of quirks and one of the things which might make the next week interesting is that some of the fringe players, not necessarily Ahmad, etc., but might get to see Mata have sort of a swan song and, you know, Matic, who knows what they still have to offer. But we should find out just how good United squad depth really
2: is. Yes, uh, as you said, I think pretty much at the start of this, the the squad depth, the quality of it is is, is really quite dubious. I know you can look at By and say he hadn't he hadn't played for a long time the other night, but he does that when he's at his optimum fitness. That's just how haphazard he is, and I, I don't necessarily agree with the three year contract that he got. I think it's inevitable just because of the the defensive. The state of playing defence United have got there where they want to do their utmost to get rid of Phil Jones to Anzebi is out of contract next year. So with buy out of contract next year, they, they had little choice but to give him a contract or sell him. And I think with United, you always know when they're in that position, nine times out of 10, they're going to give the player a new contract. But... Telez, I can just see being United's equivalent of Danilo, like a senior fullback who goes to a club, can't force his way into the first team. But because of his reputation, because he's an international as well, he has a shelf life of two years. Uh, I really, I, I don't, I just don't see him ousting Luke Shaw between now and the end of next season. I think something would have to go badly wrong with Luke Shaw for Tellez to to become United's first-choice left-back there. But it, it is an opportunity for, for some of those players to, to come in. I mean, normally when a player plays ninety minutes, it's a good thing. But I think in the case of Van der Beek in Rome, it was actually another damning reflection on him. It was like, well, we don't need to win the game because the, the aggregate cushion is good enough. Let's give him a run out. We'll rest the players who who need resting. Unfortunately for Van der Beek, he, he just just so out of kilter. I think Ty put it best in what in February after the West Ham game, where he looked like a. Was it a violinist who turned up for a rock concert or yeah. something like that? And he's he still, that's exactly what he looks like. And the fact he was shunted to the left after 15 minutes and United have got Daniel James, Martial, Rashford, Pogba as left-sided options. His future's not there, but his future's not in midfield either. They clearly don't trust him to play in, um, in a two there. So... I certainly don't think he'll start at Villa, but would you start him against Leicester or would you start him against Liverpool? Maybe if they've beaten Leicester, then OK, play him against Liverpool because it's not that significant a game, uh, which is a strange thing to say about a United-Liverpool fixture. But that's that's what the Premier League have, have forced United to, to think like, unfortunately. And uh, I suppose the only saving grace is that for us, it, these, these games and the run-ins are... They are more exciting, and there's more interest in them from an an MEM perspective. If you've got youngsters getting debuts or youngsters getting their first um, their first bit of first team exposure, and you would imagine that's got to happen. I mean, it was it was remarkable that Elanga or Ahmad didn't even come on in the end, given the the aggregate advantage at, at half time on on Thursday night. But I suppose that was a reflection of how how poor the senior players were uh, when they came on. And and Solskjaer it. Sometimes he plays too much for the diplomat because I think he looks and he did say that he wants to give players playing time who deserve it more, who were more experienced, who have served, who've had more time at the club or more time in the first team squad. But if they're not good enough and if they're actually jeopardising a lead, then don't bother with them. Give them, you know, give the chance to players who have um, have got possibly a longer future at the club.
1: Yeah, I guess that's particularly from sort of reading social media. It seems one of the grouts that United fans do still have about Solskjaer, Okay, some of the criticism he gets is totally just, but it does seem to be a bit of inconsistency with his comments relating to youth players because he's had so many chances, and particularly in these second legs, where absolutely they just give someone like Ahmad or Langley <laughs> ten minutes, just make some excitement, and as well for Solskjaer, just make a, it's a free hit for him to make positive headlines yeah. and take. And take the deflection away from off-field issues which we will discuss I think more in the next podcast particularly after the Leicester game and ahead of that little game we'll get on to them uh, Ty one last sort of discussion question for you the fact that Bay started last night Twan do you think he's had his chance now at United Do you think his time is, is coming to an end
0: I think for his own career he, he probably needs to, to push in, and go and play um, I mean he turns I think he turns 24 at some point this year I'm not sure when he's 23. 23 until he's 24, um, to, to quote that famous Twitter rag. And he's 24 <laughs> at some point this year. Um, He's definitely got a birthday this year, hasn't he? He's got a birthday this year, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's October or November. But yeah, I, I feel like October. it is the, ender, ender of the year, end of the year. And I think you know, I think he's played something like 70 senior games, so he, it does feel like he, he needs to go and play. Solskjaer is obviously incredibly loyal to the Maguire-Lindelof partnership and even the third-choice centre-back barely gets a, a look into it. It's hard to see how a fourth-choice could... And of course, we know United are in the market for another. So it does feel like it's hard to see how Twanziby gets much football. And for his own kind of career development, it does feel like perhaps he needs to consider a move away and play a bit more regularly, whether that's a loan or a permanent transfer, we'll see. But it is hard to see at the moment how he gets much football.
1: Yeah, I guess ironically, it's probably moved to Villa Park, which might be the best option for him again yeah. after two loan spells there. And speaking of Villa this weekend, and I'm not sure how I'm going to ask you to preview and make a prediction for the Leicester <laughs> game, so I think we'll just we'll just stick to Villa. Um, Sammy, what are you expecting this weekend? Kind like, of guess a rough team. How many changes and and what what type of result would you expect? I know Villa don't have Jack Grealish available this weekend, so it's probably less pressure to to go for
2: that Fred McTominay axis in midfield. It's it's pretty. Uh, startling for Villa, how different they look without Grealish, and it's particularly startling that if you you know believe the rumours or what's been whispered about about in terms of his future, what what they're going to do about it for next season. But United have got this you know remarkable record at Villa Park where they've not lost in the league since ninety five, uh, that you know the infamous great great kit day open day of the season, Alan Hansen and all that, and I think the last time they actually lost there, Solskjaer was playing in some. Utterly unremarkable league cup tie in 1999, I think it was. Like Danny Higginbottom and Ronnie Woolworth players like that were playing in it. It was it was back in the days when Sir you know, Alex Ferguson just didn't care about the league cup whatsoever. So I, I don't think United will will lose this week, and certainly not. And also they've got this away record that they um that's you know, they're unbeaten away from home in the Premier League. Uh, still, they've not lost in the Premier League away since that Liverpool game in January of last year. To go the whole season without losing away from home, irrespective of the lack of supporters, is still a terrific achievement, and it's you know, it's within their grasp. They should, they really should do it, given that it's Villa this weekend and Wolves on the final day. And I think Wolves have, you know, I think Nuno has come to the end game at Wolves. There, I think he's taken them as far as they can. So it might be a swan song for him. And they've not been pretty, They've not been the Wolves that United have encountered in previous seasons. But with with Villa, I. It could be, unfortunately, a bit like the Leeds game a couple of weeks ago, just a a drab nil-nil with very, very little riding on it, with a team tired and heavily rotated from the European game and Aston Villa without one of the the league's, frankly, the league's best players in Grealish.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Wolves there. They've turned into a team United actually do want to be playing every week, Yeah, uh, yeah. how the the tables have turned up. Uh, speaking of that unbeaten run, well, I've got the stats up here, so I might as well read them. United are unbeaten in their last 21 Premier League away games against Aston Villa since that opening day loss in '95. It's the longest unbeaten away run one side has ever had against another in English league history, so not just top flight ever. Um, and, of course, United are unbeaten in the last 21 away games uh, Oh god, where have I lost that one? United are unbeaten in the last <laughs> twenty four <on> League away. <laughs> week. I read the wrong one. I read, started reading the same stat again. United are unbeaten in their last twenty four Premier League away games. So they're now just free short of Arsenal's all time top flight record between April 03 and September 04. Ty, you know, even with rotation, United should have enough to to beat Villa this weekend. Do you agree that it should be the first of maybe maybe not a week that gives us too many points but but three points at least this
0: weekend. I think with the effort you've gone to over those stats, Rich, I think you've got one, <laughs> one nil Villa written all over it. Um no it's, I, like, I think it's like your infamous Sheffield United home win
1: predicted all yes, over again. Yeah.
0: Um yeah I agree with Samuel. Villa aren't the same side without Grealish but they're still a threat. They were they drew with home to West Brom but they created a hell of a lot of chances in that game. They beat Everton last week I think it was and I Can see this being a draw to be honest, or a very narrow United win. Wow, we've really
1: sold to the fans, aren't we? There, I mean, <laughs> if,
2: you've
0: got, if you've
1: got any other plans for Sunday, I'd probably just uh, go outside, <laughs> enjoy the sunshine, and read the MEN blog of the game instead. That's probably a better way, it suits all of our parties. But, uh, Samuel Tai, thank you very much for joining us on today's thank you. podcast. Thank, you, thank you very much for for joining us as well at home. Like we said, we will be back next Wednesday, so after the Liverpool game, after the Leicester game, but before that Liverpool match as well. So we'll bring you all the latest on that and reflect on how the weekend and the Leicester game have gone there. And so that leaves all to say is thank you very much for joining us once again. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.